Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast where we connect industry leaders to discuss experiences, challenges and successes in the gaming industry. I'm Adam, your host for today, and I'm joined with Jordan Peterson, Timothy Coolidge and Sol Skat Okoa to discuss optimising cross-departmental communication pipelines. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. I really hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Before we jump into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions of who you are and what you do. So Jordan, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Jordan Peterson. I am a producer with Arrowhead currently. I handle the UI team, uh, which also handles user experience, uh, the live service team, and the marketing slash community. Awesome, man. Uh, Timothy? Yeah, uh, I'm Timothy Coolidge. I work for Rovio here in uh, Finland. Been with them roughly going on three years. Uh, uh, as a design director there, I kind of oversee and lead the design department, uh, and that consists of everything between UX, narrative, game, and level design. And finally, but not least, Sol. Hello, I'm Sol, and I am the uh, resident audio lead at uh, Fall Damage. Uh, I mostly manage basically everything related to audio. When it comes to uh, vocals and recordings, and uh, uh, coordinates everything that goes from design to tech to programming, and uh, how we kind of slot into every other discipline in the project. Awesome. Thanks for that, guys. So, uh, as always, you've each brought qu a question relevant for discussion around optimizing cross-departmental communication pipelines. So, we'll work our right way around the room with each of you to pose your question, your reasoning behind that, and then allow each of you to give your uh, take on the situation. So, uh, Jordan, I think you've got the first question. What is it? Yeah. Um, my first question is, is, what are your best practices for facilitating cross-departmental communication? Across discipline communication. Um, one of the reasons I chose this question was I always like to see other people's approaches to making sure that everybody's on the same page and moving in the same direction. Awesome. So, uh, who wants to jump in first on that one? So, just for clarity, I'm, I wish. I should have written down all the questions. I knew they were coming so I could read them back to myself. Can you say it one more time for me, please? Yeah. What is what is your best practices for facilitating cross-discipline communications? Sure. So uh, I'll jump in. Uh, I think this really comes down to a couple things, too, to think about beforehand, even before you can look at the practices. It's the team size. Uh, I mean, that drastically changes things, right? Uh, a large-scale team versus a small a smaller team can change these practices drastically in how you need to do it. Um, and a smaller team, I find that you have 
more natural cross-department discussions because everybody's wearing multiple hats, contributing on different places. Um, it's less segmented into different kind of areas of the game and everybody kind of participates. It's a huge collaboration melting pot. Um, so on smaller teams, I think it's much easier to do this. Um, I'm also making this assumption everybody's in an office. So that's a totally different piece of the pie as well. But in an office at least, uh, and then on a large team, um, I, I think the key thing is this, for when you talk about cross collaboration, is having everybody, or having, uh, at least in, in my experience, having the, the strike teams, the people who are actually doing the work for a specific thing or a specific area, be part of the collaboration on planning it out before the execution starts so that everybody has some piece of ownership or understanding, or at least clear understanding of the goals and what they're trying to achieve before the work starts. Um, I think if you can do that, if you can get everybody in the room uh, with still things to be figured out, right? So everybody can contribute, then you'll have a much stronger cross collaboration between departments uh, and you'll have much more people uh, taking ownership of, an, of what the work they need to do uh, instead of uh, the old days of a designer throwing it over a wall and the team running off to build it and then two weeks later coming back to the diner and go, look what we built. And it's all wrong, of course. <laughs> so that's interesting you bring it up because um, one of the largest hurdles that I had to get over recently was making sure everybody on the development team, on the strike team, on disciplines are built, are bought in when, um, when kicking off milestones. So what is your general practice when you're you're facilitating that initial conversation so everybody has has input gets buy-in so everybody feels like they have that ownership how long do you typically allot for that time frame before you enact it into a sprint or the beginning of a milestone sure often i find these things are done way before they're ready to be executed on right i mean that's because yeah. you need to plan ahead and of course. uh uh so in, in my uh past experiences um i can think clearly at ea uh when i became part of the mobile team there we had a team uh for us it was it this was kind of i'm i'm really big in process so if i go too deep in process just go tim that's enough move on um um for us and, and the other thing with this is it won't happen naturally I mean, that's something everybody has to understand. As much as we would like and we tell everybody, come on, everybody, talk to each other, blah, 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 blah. Whatever you drum you beat with a large team, it is not going to happen. You have to put it into place to enforce it to be executed on, and then it can become muscle memory, and it can happen more organically. But in the beginning, I really believe you have to put some process in place that people have to follow. So yeah. at, Some at driver EA, needs to be up front. Yeah, yeah. So at EA, it went sort of like this. We have a backlog. Um, there's a feature that we need to get prepared for. Design would init initially meet uh, just to talk about the feature, make sure we understand what's the goal of the feature, uh, what's our timeline for the feature, um, what's, uh, what else do we need to know? Mainly the goal and understanding is this, well, this as well, is a feature still valid in today's current game versus when we did, the, you know, or when we arranged this 
this backlog, maybe it's not as valid anymore. Things have changed. So it is still valid in today's game. And what's the goals? Once you have that, design would kind of bat it around a room, talking about some high-level stuff, very high-level, not digging into the details. And then somebody would take the ownership of it. Usually, you know, it's whoever's specialty it goes into. From that point, that person would think about it some more, maybe write down some more notes, and then have a pitch meeting, basically, to the people who are going to work on it. Whereas in the strike teams, a pod, whatever you call it, those people would all come in a room. He would go, okay, uh, we're discussing this feature. Let's say it's a feature. Um, here are the goals, because in reality, if you can't say that first, then you need to back up. So here are the goals. Here's just so everybody understands them. Discuss the goals. Make sure everybody, everybody doesn't have to agree. That's not how business works. But, but everybody needs to understand the purpose and what we're trying to achieve with it. Once you do that, then at a high level, you can take your notes as a designer. You go, here's some ideas I have. Throw them on the whiteboard. Go to um, we can push this direction or we can have people throw in new ideas and people can throw in new ideas and you can measure those against the goals. Sorry, I like to visualize. Well, I don't know why I'm drawing in the air, but uh, you can you can you can measure those against the goals. And at the end, you have a giant list. And if something doesn't and I'm very much a whiteboard person. So you, and I think teams uh, uh, read information better from a whiteboard than listening. Um, so if you can write it down and and if it doesn't meet the goals, you just cross it off. And it is, it's important to do that because if you don't write it down and cross it off, someone's going to come up with the same thing that's barely different. And you're going to go through a whole process again when you could just go, oh, that's pretty much like that one. We've already crossed it off. What's next? So at the end of that cycle, you can have ideas that work and meet the goals and ideas that don't. And then from there, the, the designer in charge, because he is responsible in the end for this feature, has to make a decision. And he can go, okay, based out of this, I think this one best suits our needs for X, Y, and Z. Um, unless someone really strongly, I always like to leave the door open a little bit. If someone strongly disagrees and wants to come up and make a case to me, like step up here and explain, then we're going with this. Now, that's the kind of introduction to picking a path. That's the first meeting. And this is where, these are really big teams that I'm talking about for this. This is like a 200 man team initially. So, uh, and now it's down to, you know, 20 people who are gonna work on it. And then you can dug in and go, okay, based on this conclusion, again, as design, I will take away and I will do a skeleton spec for what we've agreed upon. And then I will come back to this group and you will help me strengthen this spec and help me drive details of it to make it better and you will tell me what can and can't be done, right? Because designers, I, I tell designers, blue sky, everything. Screw time, screw skills, screw tech. Build what is best in your mind, and then you can find out how to simplify it and make it doable. Yeah, start broad, scale down. Yes. Sorry. Go on. That's all right. No, that's why it's good. Uh, Sol's uh, input on like, what's, uh, what are your best practices for uh, communication? Oh, I kind of had a little follow-up. I felt like I saw a little addendum to that, if I can. Go for it. I was thinking, because you were talking about, this is how you start the process. This is how yeah. you materialize the feature and set it in motion. But uh, let's say this feature, you have a timeline of like, I don't know, three months, six months, something for this feature. You have 20 yeah. people working on this. How do you follow up on this? How do you assign ownership? And how do you make people 
still feel engaged and still feel like they are working towards something that's like, do you, do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does anybody else want to take a step or am I? Uh, I'm happy to answer. But I, I think it was more of a follow-up to your okay, process. Okay. So, yeah, okay. feel free to hop in, and then I can hop in after. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, again, this is – and this comes down to personalities a little bit and skill sets. This is a general rule. I mean, uh, not everything is once you fits all. So this is just kind of a, a guideline, I would say. Generally, I would say whoever's owning the feature – is is the one who's responsible for that task. It's kind of keeping everybody on the same page, checking in consistently. You could say a producer could do it, and and you could argue that all day. But to me, a producer, it's harder for a producer to evaluate work that's in progress to see if it's on the right track or not. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe there are some producers who are more design skilled who have a better understanding, but I don't want to assume that. So I usually say the design person who's in charge of signing off on it being complete and quality that we need is in charge of that communication. Uh, I always tell my designers, if, if someone is building a feature for you, you should be generally visiting them every day or two to check in with them, to be a cheerleader for their work, to check in with progress, make sure it's on the right path, to jump up and down with excitement when, they're, when they make progress and it's something that you can see and, and discuss with them. Like you should be the cheerleader for that strike team and that pod working on that feature. And that means uh, also you can do weekly show and tells. So that way everybody on the pod is going, cool, look what I did this week. Look what I've executed on. Look what I finalized or whatever. Uh, and, you know, as soon as it's playable, then there's a whole nother kind of engagement with the whole group playing it uh, and looking at it on the detail level and going, well, when I punch that guy on the third punch, it doesn't feel impactful enough. So let's, Let's put a you know a time delay and a slow mo, then you get all these details around how to make something go from good to great. Is when the team is playing it together uh, and making comments. Yeah, absolutely. To tack onto that, um, every day standups, right? Making sure that everybody knows the direction they're going, remove any blockers, making sure that 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 stakeholder is aware of what the status is. And then sprint reviews, right? Did uh, or a weekly show and tell, uh, depending on how often you like to push that narrative and find out what the status of it is beyond something that is just in engine. Yeah, just to, to jump in there as well, uh, just to kind of go back to the uh, initial question because we didn't really hear from you, Sal, about what your kind of best practices over at uh, Fall Damage. Ah, uh, my best practices. Um, I have a very concise one, which is that I, I want to try. I don't always manage this, but I want to try to like um, help all of the developers actually feel feel engaged in what they are doing. So I always try to reach out to everyone and not micromanage everyone towards a common goal, but instead put people to work. And then I just interject when I see something going away from what I see as like the actual focus of the feature. So if I don't see anything straying from the focus, then I do not feel any need to interject. And then I do not have to create any uh, unnecessary reverberances. People can just work. And then I'm just looking everything over and I want everyone to just report back to me. Uh, and I feel 
um that is a very good that is a very good way to get people because like if the original question is how do you facilitate cross-departmental communication then i would say it is i as a producer i don't want to be just calling out to everyone all the time but i think it's better to create a lot of small teams you have oh you have this person working with this graphical uh, artist this sound designer is going to reach out to these people and uh, these designers i know there's a callback because we've um as you said if you keep doing this thing if you throw it out to the workers that they should try to connect the dots um they will start building these like networks between themselves so that they they know who to talk to and when so that they just instantly reach out to each other more organically um i don't know i think it's a it's a structure that don't necessarily i don't know how well it translates to if you are 200 people 500 people but i think it works really well if you have teams of uh, eight people 20 people maybe 50 people um that's usually what i tend to work with like mid-size uh teams um I just think you get a lot of bang for your buck just trying to enable all of your developers. I always try to think of everyone that I work with just as a developer, not necessarily as, oh, you're a hard surface, oh, you are audio. But instead, like everyone has a bit of ownership. Everyone has ideas. We're all in a creative business. So I want you to take it as far as you can. And then we'll see what happens from there, pretty much. And I think if you do that, you start to organically just connect like an analog synth or something. You're just moving around all of the pieces, and then you end up with some interesting end result. And it's really not just a module per module, but it's something that kind of grew naturally from just enabling people to... Um, um, reach out to each other pretty much I would agree to to a certain extent I find that when you start getting into larger teams being able to facilitate the conversation between those people and make sure that they know who to reach out to and how to reach out and follow it up or at least putting it in public channels where you can see that the conversation has happened so you don't feel the need to actually have to go and poke right because that does as a producer you want them to feel empowered uh to to have those conversations and to and to build that rapport and those in those interdepartmental relationships just as a studio right um but you don't want to have to be the person who feels like you, you have to push them into just wanted to, to jump in then kind of ask uh so comparing with um tim's point about you know um, pipelines uh early on and kind of mentioned about like a uh, you know creative autonomy almost and then when they kind of veer off a little bit putting them back on track um so what i'm gathering uh, correct me if i'm wrong at fall damage it seems like you have a very big focus on um you know laying a good foundation so everyone's aware of the creative vision and really owning on that yeah, I mean, we have a lot of bottom-up development going on at uh, at Fall Damage. So, like, one thing that is kind of special, um, I think, with our company is that we have maybe one to two playtest sessions a day with, like, almost half the team are playtesting 
for several hours a day competitively against each other. So we have this big playtest channel that is always like very vibrant, full of ideas. And then people just keep posting all the time. Oh, this looks wrong. Oh, this has a low res or, oh, I don't think the sound is really good on these footsteps when I'm walking down on this path. And so we kind of always have like a back and forth between all of the developers because most of us play the game like almost every every day and those who don't that's like a very special clique but they still play from time to time um so i think it's it's kind of like how our company specifically is uh put together that we we try to we try to make that as natural um as possible for people to voice their opinions on stuff and then we try to tie it all together like afterwards it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a special approach, and I see that it, that does not necessarily work for all types of companies. I think is really fun. <laughs> uh, coincidentally, I I worked at a company previously that did had something of similar nature, and and the company I work at now has something they're trying to be relatively similar with. But um, interestingly, I want to ask you, how do it it's it's good for facilitating ideas and, and creativity, but how do you keep it from muddying your goals and in, in, in the direction of a feature or the game itself? A lot of discussion. <laughs> That's it's it is a lot of work. I mean, it's the same thing if you would go to like autocracy versus democracy. You just have to talk a lot. And I think you also have to trust the people on your team to um, to have a sense of the direction. Like, for instance, if I would be complaining about some aspect of the gunplay, then I always want to be able to know as a developer, like, okay, I might be thinking this, but I can differentiate between my personal opinion and the actual target audience we have. And I think if you let these conversations exist like in a public plane i think people would will get a better understanding of what the product is and what their opinion is and if their opinion is actually something that would make the product better but i think that doesn't necessarily work that would be just chaos so you always have to have this uh, strong strong direction from above as well to have these general reviews to have it set into the milestone planning what are our epics right now so i think you throw out the direction first then you let people pick it up then you review it and say did we go wrong and by having that process back and forth between like the top down and the bottom up i think you kind of strike a good balance nice uh, so I think I'll go to uh, to Timothy next because uh, I think we've kind of discussed a bit of what your question is. Uh, but I want to kind of get your insight straight from you. Uh, so can you tell us your question? Yeah. So my question is is related, uh, but my question is how do you handle creating a unified vision across all the departments? Um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, so I think first and foremost is is starting with a, a creative brief right 
and and this kind of goes back to what you were talking about with creating these processes allowing this design discussion to occur so you can you can build out your high level brief so that when it trickles down to the development team they have an idea of what the skeleton is going to be so they can build the circulatory and the muscular and the skin well maybe not the skin because you're probably not hitting a polish stage just yet but you might right um when when they get to a point of having this having the musculature in there and 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 expanding on on the skeletal system so that you can you can have um a feature set that everybody is is bought into and and they know what the goal is that they're trying to create so that everybody moves in the same direction and assigning stakeholdership i think is something also that is an empowering that stakeholder so that they have they feel ownership over the vision and the feature itself and and they can ensure that it continues moving in that direction and then like you were saying with with weekly reviews or spread reviews and your daily stand-ups making sure that that vision that vision maintains its course cool so what are your thoughts i think this is a really hard uh question i think this is one of the big things that everyone struggles with um and as you were on to before timothy the, i mean this scales very badly it scales very poorly like if you are four people doing a very focused indie game you will have the best connection or communication possible if you are 800 people then that communication has to trickle down through processes instead but it's still never going to translate as good so you just have to hammer in the hours to make sure that you kind of nudge it in the right direction like a jenga tower um so i mean how do you handle that in a good way i'm trying to think in, in, in what jordan said about uh like stakeholders and you know people taking larger responsibility i know one thing that uh, from speaking to a lot of like art directors or creative directors is that they lose a lot of hands-on stuff uh, it becomes very much a uh, a craft of kind of guiding people but not being as hands-on so do you reckon yeah. that'll be something if if it is possible in an ideal world to make more of the uh the higher up people happy more hands-on with the people boots on the ground i think oh sorry go ahead so no, I just thought that was really interesting because that's what I feel too when I'm doing uh, like 70% of my time goes to directing people pretty much. Uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting like directing people, but it's also it's kind of hard to maintain like a good picture of what it is you're doing if you're not doing the work. So... Uh, yeah, I, I have to. I have to think a bit about this. Could you please pick up my slack? <laughs> for, for for me on that topic as as like because I mean I'm 25, 24 years in now building games and I don't get to make games anymore. Like I I I, I don't. I I I I ask a lot of questions 
I, I get to lead people. I get to influence people. I get to, uh, um, my management style over the years has heavily changed from my young days of knowing all the answers and telling people what to do to now just asking questions and just going, what do you think? Like I find, so as a person who's in that position and I don't get to make gains anymore, I constantly tell my designers, I live through you. I craft through you. Please, anytime you run into a wall, a challenge, an uncertainty, let me be that bouncing wall with you to help work your way through it. And like I said, I do it all through questions. I rarely tell people what they should do. I, I do everything almost like, well, have you thought about this? Do you think this is right? Do you think this might be, you know, we could strengthen that here maybe by this method. Um, but uh, I find myself, the only way I can stay connected anymore is to have pet projects where I get involved with somebody to help them do something and even get in the editor because I love editors. I love tools. I, you know, paper and pen is great, but there's nothing like getting in a tool and creating something uh, that you know someone's going to get to play. It's just, you can't, it's irreplaceable. So for me, it's still making sure I spend enough time to know what it means to do the jobs that I'm helping oversee. I don't have to be masters at it, they're the most efficient, but I need to understand what it is to do that work from A to Z, uh, even in a, in a slowest manner possible for me, because uh, I don't do it every day. Um, so that I can talk the same language, I can talk the experience, I can talk understanding the, the amount of effort it takes. Um, um, for design, I think art would be the same. Good design and good art kind of theory and, and, and practices are universal. Uh, so, you know, as long as you maintain those foundations uh, of good design, uh, you can stay uh, connected pretty well. But there are times when I just have to get in the tools and make something. And and my people who work with me, I think they appreciate it, right? I think they see the effort that they know that I'm doing these things to understand what they do um, and what they face. Um, I hope at least. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I think I got a little answer here. Um, and I think, um, I mean, to, to handle like a unified vision I think you have to be kind of uncompromising, like uh, strike a balance between being uncompromising without being mean. No one likes a mean leader, but I would like to like follow up with what you said that you want to get in there. That's kind of how I am too. I just want to jump in the pit, you know, I just want to do stuff together with people. And I feel that I am very uncompromising. It's like, I want stuff to be Oh, well, near perfect. And I'm going to help you get there. And I think you have, if you have really spirited stakeholders that can follow up with this and that have the experience to facilitate, like, okay, how do we work together to get it to where I feel that this is something that works well together with the game and that is not compromising, like, the overall integrity of the vision. How can we together get there? I think that's probably a good way to to instill into all of your people that, okay, we are going to make a very unified product according to these set of goals. As you said, you, you need very clear briefs. If it's like a, if it's like a very big organization, then you need to craft out these 
these briefs, then you have these stakeholders that are uncompromising, but they are there to always facilitate. Don't just say what is wrong, but you say, how do we get it right? That's like my primary focus. I don't want to say like, oh, this kind of, this kind of went wrong in this direction. Yeah, but I'm the senior, I'm the stakeholder. I should say, what's the right direction? How do we get back on track? How do we work together to get back on track? Um, and I think that was one of my points. The other point, mm, I forgot. It will come back to you in a second. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come back, yeah. Something will trigger it off. So what's interesting is is that it, it kind of makes sense for Tim, since he's he's a design director, for, for yourself and, and myself. Um, we're in production. So the idea that we can also be in the pit and, and right, we rarely, if ever, have stakeholdership in, in any, any one feature. We're more, we're more sheep herders at best in these types of scenarios, right? Or cat herders, I guess, would be a little more apt. But um, how do you, how do you, how do you see yourself jumping into this pit to make sure that everybody has the unified vision when you ultimately have no stake in it? Am I allowed to answer my own question? Yeah. Am I allowed to chime in? <laughs> so, Go for it. So one thing, a, a good producer in this sense is such a required tool. I, I mean, I've worked with bad producers. I've worked with good producers. A, a great producer is worth you know way more than their weight in gold and, and, and so critical, especially with the bigger teams, right? Um, so I would look to, uh, if for me, driving the vision with, with producers is really making sure that the owner of that vision is sitting down with the producer who's going to be a part of that and making sure that, and, and I think this is just good practice as even across the whole team is one that I can say the, a sentence or a, a bullet point structure or something of the vision that every time I discuss it, I start with that bullet point. Because I need to embed it into your head subconsciously so that you can repeat it back to anybody else on the team at any moment. And then you can you can you can even see the bullet points underneath that main heading that we have decided to support that and drive that. So that you understand it to the level of parroting yeah, without exactly thought. Exactly what I was going to say. Parrot with, be without, able to parrot your vision. Without thought and having it, you know. As much as you know, I made that statement earlier, like I don't know if a you know producer understands the design. Uh, I I will you know swallow my own foot as I often many times do, uh, because I do think you can talk. Producers are great at absorbing information, uh, in my experience, especially the the good ones, and and understanding it. Uh, so I would think a producer, if he saw something that he thought was going off, that's where he would go. Uh, ask the person, you know, here's our goals. Uh, do you think this is fulfilling that enough? And if he still felt a little uneasy about it and the person said, well, of course if I do, blah, blah, you know, someone may, then that's where they would go, okay, well, let's have whoever the stakeholder is come by and do a quick review to make sure we're, we're really, because uh, we don't have time to redo many times, right? We don't have time to re-steer back weeks of work into yes. another direction. Um, and honestly, no one likes to do that. Uh, even the guy who did the work would rather be steered early than go off 
in his own creative vision mm -hmm. and then have to do it again. That's not satisfying. Um, so uh, I, I do think producers are, and and I know when I say this, it's probably not politically correct in these days, and someone could give me a better way to say it. They're amazing cheerleaders and follow up, follow through people. Like they get to really be that excitement for a team if they're engaging with them on a regular basis and, and being behind them going, dude, that's freaking out awesome. And, you know, I can't wait to see that connect with so-and-so's work over here. You guys should get together and talk because you and that together, or this and that together is going to be awesome. You know, there's something about building excitement that I look to my producers to help me do. And once those two pieces link up, you're going to be building something amazing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I ask like from a, like a producer's perspective, uh, if it's something that happens at all in the industry, kind of a you know want to find out. Do you kind of like sit down with like uh, maybe not the uh, the team lead or the senior, but like yeah the junior or mid level uh, artist or designer or programmer, and kind of hear it from the, the very very ground level um, about like do they have this like the unified vision or like key problems that are happening on a very base level that may not make it up the food chain. Yeah, absolutely. So I, coincidentally, this is, I, I think what falls up a piece that falls into daily standups, right? Especially with your departments, uh, that you kind of get to see and understand what everyone had, you have a global view of what everyone on your team is working on. And so when, um, one of the things I like to, to encourage everybody on my teams to do is is when they have, especially as designers or artists, when they have work that is they've completed, put it in the public channel. Let us all see that. Let everybody see that. Show, you know, let, you got to lay your peacock fly. Let's see all I, your feathers. I would even say show up before you're done. Like, you know, I, I, I would hope people get just as excited about seeing something finished as they do seeing really great i mean art yeah. is such a choosing like right? initial, initial lockups right it's so easy to see something early and go holy you know that's i can't wait till it's done um uh i'm trying to think i mean engineering's a little tough to do that on the show something yeah. it's typically well, harder to do that to see that with something back end right yeah but yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's always a lot easier to see it with something that is more visual art ui design things of that nature but yeah, you're absolutely right. Not even necessarily when it's finished. Just like, here's what I've here's what I've been working on. This is what it looks like. It's not completely finished. I still have to do parts of the mock-up. Piece X is functional. Piece Y is functional. Here's what it's going to look like when it's showable. And so, yeah. But the point is really putting those in public channels. So, I, yeah. you know. Show off. Let your peacock feathers fly. Show, let everybody get hype about your work. Yes, I, yes, yes. But that also puts in a, a um, it creates that feedback loop so that your stakeholders, they see what's happening and they see how far along it is. So if somebody is getting off track, you can, they can, they can steer right back. One thing I'm going to second on a Tim's part about showing stuff, uh, maybe not half, like half finished, for example. And I know it's not a common practice, but like, say, for example, uh, Mojang with Minecraft, they have their Minecraft Live and they show some features that aren't, you know, and they're blatant with it. Like, a lot of these features might not even make it into the game, but we're working on stuff. Uh, and that boosts hype. Uh, just as a small sub-question before we get onto Souls, do you reckon that's something we might see more in the future to 
boost hype with players. Uh, hmm. Now, do you mean releasing it for playability or just showing? Oh, just just showing like here's a barrel that we worked on last week. You know, also, <laughs> you know, maybe not a barrel, but uh, yeah, sure, half finished up, upcoming features basically. that may or may not make it into the game. Sure. Well, I mean, you also see more com- more teams even showing. Here's our year's roadmap. Here's what we plan to do. Like even just in yeah. tech. Um, I mean, you're starting to see that more often. Um, so, I mean, personally, I think anytime you can connect with your community, the better, right? I think you have to be clear on what you're doing and don't set false hopes and don't, you know, uh, and, and be clear. But honestly, and you're always going to get a few people who are overly upset when something doesn't come in that you said you were working on and um, you can't you need separate. Yeah, you can't. And you're always going to have a loud, a loud group here and there that, you know, is 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 taking up a lot of space uh, volume-wise. But um, I, I think anytime you can work with them uh, and, and, and be, you know, pretty transparent with them for the most part. I mean, there are always times where there's certain things you can't share for legal reasons sometimes or, I mean, even just sometimes because it's not healthy. It's not going to create a healthy atmosphere for different reasons different features but, too far yeah. too yeah. early in a pipeline yeah absolutely but I, I definitely think well that's when you also find out too if you can show them things early you have time to adjust based on their feedback i mean if you, if you can hear them go we think this is a really stupid feature and if you give me this it's going to create this play pattern and i'm going to abuse it and i'm going to hate it uh because you let me do that i mean i, I would love to have that information before i finish it and so I could fix it before I give it to them. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a great thing. We absolutely used to do that at a, a previous studio. Um, we had a subset of users uh, of of daily users, right? Uh, active, very active user base um, that were under NDA. And when we had feature sets that we were building, we would we would hand it off to them for that. Um, and even in some cases, when we were preparing to put that into a live environment, we would let them build out some of them were YouTubers. So we would let them build out videos to facilitate that hype. I, I think it's interesting, the idea of, of putting developmental work into a public eye. And to pair Tim's point about, um, you know, showing off roadmaps, but it, it, you have to set the expectation that this may not actually see the light of day. We may like it in a prototyping phase, but it may not get past that, right? There, there are things that on paper, they sound or look great or they feel great. And once you put them in, once you put it into a prototyping phase, it doesn't translate. So there's always that risk that you kind of set and you, and you let your user base know that as long as you set that expectation that that that's going to happen and like tim said there's always going to be a subset of users or of that loud bunch the wild bunch and they're going to be pissed right and you just can't please everybody all the time but as long as you set that expectation that yeah this may not see the light of day here let us show you something cool we've been trying to work absolutely and uh, i know i've kind of set us off course a bit there but as a Sol said, going to bring us back in, rein us back onto the unified vision of cross-departmental communication. Um, Sol, have you got any uh, thoughts on that, or do you want to go straight to your question? Um, I don't know. I think the whole topic you were discussing right now is pretty pretty interesting. 
It's like I can't say do or die when it comes to that. It just feels like it's it depends a lot of depends a lot on like how close do you need to be with your player base? Is this like a player based game? Is yeah. this like are we talking about Rust? Are we talking about Minecraft where you can do very specific smaller mechanics or is this just a case of you have a big ass budget you can do this for four years and you want to focus on just developing and then maybe giving people smaller tidbits like where where is the line drawn i don't really know but i like to show off stuff because i think that i just i just know that i'm a developer as much as i am a player and i think players usually they don't definitely don't always know what they're talking about but they usually know when something feels good they know when something feels yeah. good like if i show you like a coconut trees or something it's like oh i made this coconut tree and then the player base is going like wow that's the best coconut tree i've ever seen boom then i probably know something is right and if i don't get any reactions at all then maybe who knows or can i actually assess uh what it is i've shown can i actually use that as a useful contribution towards what is wrong with my game or is there another question that is like more abstract that i have to show um i don't really know i, I think it's interesting i have a lot of i have a lot of friends who work with like indie games and i mean that's your only source of marketing if you don't have like a big ass marketing budget you need to churn out this on a daily basis you know and that also gives you that handshake and I think, I don't know, it's kind of, I think, like when we're talking like cross departments, I think it also bridges, it also bridges like all of the departments between each other because you get to see one aspect of the game from the user's perspective. And that kind of, that might be very unique for like, oh, a designer sees how the graphics from this game is being reacted upon by the public that is later on going to play the game. And maybe they get like a feel for, aha, uh -huh, I never thought I, I was down in my systems here. I had no idea people cared so much about coconut trees. So I don't know. I think, I think showing off stuff and not being like too tough on yourself or being like too try hard about it, uh, is actually a good thing for the whole project to get people together, to get like talking points, to get developing points that people can just, I don't know, sit around, talk around and get like a more unified vision of the game, basically. Absolutely. And uh, thank you for uh, tying that back to uh, communication across <laughs> department. Uh, so I guess uh, I'm just cautious of time. Um, I know we've mentioned uh, strike teams and pods earlier on in the, uh, in the, uh, the episode, but, could you uh, give us your question? Oh, so what I'm interested in hearing is that, um, like, I'm interested kind of in, like, the technicalities of how you utilize different teams. How do you put teams together? When do you separate them? How do you manage them? How do you make sure that they are talking with each other? Um because I've had instances before, like where we might have very abstract teams uh, on projects. For instance, we say, okay, you, this team, you are 20 people, 20, 25 people. 
you are handling the open world mechanics, for instance. And then you have this other team that is like, you handle the overall systems, the design systems, the backend for that. And then maybe you have another team that handles um, mechanics for characters, for instance, for enemies, for combat simulations. Like you have these teams divided like that. Um, how do you make them work together? Let's say it's like uh, three teams of 30 people or three teams of 50 people. Yeah. If you've ever been in a situation like that or likewise. Who wants to jump in first too? <laughs> <laughs> I hold my tongue. Um, so, I mean, to me, what, what you just described is any typical open world game today, right? I mean, you basically, if you, even, even if you look at the smaller ones like Arkham or all the way up to uh, uh, Assassin's Creed or something like that, which is massive these days, um, they are built in this way. I mean, the undersea part of one of the Assassin's Creed games that came out years ago, there was this uh, scuba, like that scuba, because there's no gear, there's no breathing underwater, but there was a dive, a water diving part. That was meant to be just a small little section of the game. And then when it was built and played, everybody's like, holy crap, this is so good. We've got to put this throughout the whole game. Um, but that was a team that was isolated, building on something that they were proud of and they wanted to make it as top quality as they could and make it as, as fully functional as they could. Uh, and it became something much bigger in the game. So uh, from my experience, at least, and, and really you're talking AAA. Well, I, no, I can't say that. Even now in mobile, I we are growing our teams be into the size where we're doing strike teams or pods um, to focus on specific areas of the game. Um, it is hard. It, even on a small, even on mobile where, you know, the team's, what, 50 people? That's a that's a huge mobile team in some sense, or a big mobile team, not huge, but probably big. Um, even breaking that into pods, we are clearly having to put processes in place to make sure that the pods know what each other are doing and how that they need to connect and, and build upon each other's work and not just expect it to come together at the end and fit like a puzzle because it will not. Um, and the game will feel separated and, and and kind of segmented. It won't feel cohesive. It'll feel weird. Like why it won't even feel like two different games at that point. Um, so, and I know in an ideal world, this would all be organic. The lead designer, the lead artist, the people who are over the whole project would be there to be at the top going, I've looked at what this pod's doing. I know what this pod's doing and I've communicated the necessary, you know, information across. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. You've got to put things in place. You've got to, You've got to have those pods showing each other their work on a regular basis. Um, it, it just it doesn't happen naturally as much as we would love it to. You've got to get some forced muscle in there. Um, and, and all of our hopes is over time it will become more organic and natural, but uh, I tend to find it doesn't. <laughs> if I, I'm sorry, if I just get to press you on that. So what is that force of muscle? If we like get into the meat of it, if we have the underwater team, you have the surface team, they are creating separate, they are pouring their hearts out to make the best mechanics possible. How do you make sure that the underwater team mechanics 
vibe well with the, the not underwater mechanics? How do they talk together? How do we force them together? I, I think it has to be a combination of things. Uh, no one's going to read documentation, so you just might as well throw that out the window. It's not going to happen. Uh, as much as we love to write everything down, and, and some teams are really, really you know specific about keeping every document up to date on every decision or change they make, there is a certain point we all know in development where documentation is like, what? No, no, no. Just tell me what, what's going on because no one's going to go read. Um, so it, it really does come down, and Jordan may laugh at me, uh, to production to production being a big piece of it. Yeah. And, and then your vision holders also. I mean, this is why vision holders don't have time to build games. This uh, again, this is something yeah. that they have to do. They have to be. They have to what? Because at this point, they've delegated the, the whatever their their craft is to the strike team leaders of their craft. So, so they have to constantly be in communication with their craft's leader inside that pod. They have to constantly be looking and experiencing what they're building and making sure they understand it. Uh, and then they have to make sure that they are part of that thread that holds it all together between the other strike teams that they're communicating. And when they see uh, a need, I mean, I, I, again, I would put it on a calendar on a regular basis. And then if we walk in the room I, and, and we didn't need it, we'd cancel it ahead of time. But I would be scared not to put it on the calendar as a reoccurring. Um, I think if you did it on the need basis, it would never happen and if, or it would happen too late. Um, so I would put it on a reoccurring meeting where the leaders or their owners of these craft, uh, not the crafts, but the owners of the pods come together and share their work. And and it can be simple. It can be basically like a stand-up. Here's what we're doing. Or here's what we completed. Here's what we're working on now. And here's what's coming next. Um, and if they have images or something they think they feel are valuable to show, show it. Um, and then production, you know, often producers ride between multiple strike teams, depending on the size of them and how big they are. You could have one producer over two. Um, if you have that, then he's another thread that can help tie these things together. I mean, if I was planning, I would look for producers who uh, that could be on two, if they're gonna be on two different strike teams, I would put them on strike teams that are connected that so they can be that thread, uh, another thread that connects them together. Um, I don't know if there is a great answer. I, I mean, if it was up to me, I, I would pull in a Ubisoft guy and go, how in the hell do you manage 800-man teams across six different studios? Talk to us. Share that massive puzzle because uh, it's black magic. <laughs> You've come up with a, my next podcast, Tim. <laughs> um, but, uh, Jordan, what, what are your thoughts yeah, on the back I, of that? So I, I think what's important is... And this will always kind of like lead me back to the structure of, of of running agile, where it's it's daily stand-ups, making sure that the stakeholders are involved. Um, one of the things, the biggest proponents for making sure that everybody's kind of on the same page and know where they're going, is is um, sprint reviews and and doing show and tells. And so everybody can see what's happening with other teams that they may not directly be involved with. And one of the points Tim that made, the frown that I was making was about documentation. I'm such a big proponent of documentation. I, I know that it's hard to consistently maintain documentation, but I definitely think, especially when onboarding 
fewer employees was the sole impairment to have. But um, to to parrot your point, having that that producer that dips into multiple disciplines so they can say, oh yeah, you're working on underwater systems. He's working on stand there. This team's working on standard movement, or this board, this team's working on boat mechanics. And and have you guys checked out each other's work? Oh, one of the things that you had mentioned earlier in the in the cast salt was playtesting. Playtesting is is such a huge proponent for seeing the daily status of anything. Um one of the previous studios I worked at, it was like clockwork every day, five o'clock, checking the new belt. Every let's see what the current status is. And that stakeholder for for the feature, uh, for the piece of they would come in, they would check it out, whether it was a designer, the design director, or the the level uh one of the level designers, or one of the UI programmers, just to make sure that their implementation of work was moving in 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 the direction that everybody anticipated. I, I have a little follow-up that I just thought of there. When you're talking about playtesting, if we're talking about a larger company, um like so now I'm just yeah, I'm just thinking larger because like uh full damage and arrowhead work under the same size. Rovio a bit larger, but I was thinking like isn't it possible to utilize like live streams? If you have the QA teams trying out new features every day, couldn't you just have like a Twitch stream running for your company all day long? Then you have a channel that is like pings people like, oh, we're going to try out the new underwater thing. Oh, we're going to try out this new vehicle. Coincidentally, that is something there. Oh, it does not necessarily Twitch stream, but um, in in one of our primary channels of communication is Discord. And so what'll happen is um, the person playtesting the the new feature or or re or when they're doing reviews will stream their channel, will stream them playtesting this so that other people can sit and watch. That's cool. <clears throat> That's really interesting. Uh, and I'm just cautious of time, so I guess we'll kind of get some uh, closing thoughts uh, and comments there. So I guess we'll go with Sol first, because uh, your question last. What are your uh, thoughts from the discussion today? Um, I think it's interesting because this is this is like um, it's a bit of a too wide question almost because it depends on what size you are uh, on the studio. So it's like I can answer for a lot of different sizes, but it's going to be a very specific specific answer um like something something that i did not mention um yeah like if you work on a smaller scale i really like that like for instance i usually sell like my own uh, craft as full stack audio because i know everything related to audio i could do any of the work you say you do audio i can do anything I could do the programming, I could do the tech, I could do the design, I could do the recording, I could do the casting. And I think for me, that's always been like this very good bridge that I can easily talk to the programmers. I can easily talk to to all of the design people. I can talk to 
the graphical artist. I can talk to anyone because I'm very well aware of how my subject ties into the whole game experience. And I don't know, as a closing statement, I think, isn't that what we all, what we're all trying to achieve? We're all just trying to achieve this experience and we need to be able to make people understand and like in some, as you say, Timothy, force them in different ways to understand that everything you are doing is working for the greater good yeah. of the game. And then we just have to be pretty hard about that because that's going to determine how good the game turns out. Or if it's just going to be a backpack of 40, 40 weird features that don't really connect to anything. Which does happen, unfortunately. <laughs> really good. Um, John, Tim, any final closing bits there at all? There are some. That's my closing. No, I'm just kidding. There are some. Uh, my statement. Uh, just ask the brute force. Uh, oh, yeah. In the same direction, though, whether I get you to scream and work, you're coming along. Yeah. Uh, I think my closing statement would be keep the vision statement simple. Keep it something people can repeat. Keep it something that uh, you repeat to the team often. You should be able to go about your team and pretty much get the same. And this is never true, but in an ideal world, you should be able to go through your team and go, what is the, the one vision statement for this thing you're working on? And ideally, everybody should have 80% of the same words in that statement. And the only way to do that is keep it super simple, uh, repeat it a lot. When, when you discuss it, measure everything against it. And that line of, that clarity there, I think, is what will carry it across multiple disciplines. Yeah, I one of my biggest pieces and biggest proponents for, for cross-disciplinary communication is just having that vision set or identified as much as possible so that when it gets to the development team, they're in the best position possible to to buy it. Awesome. Well, I guess if, uh, that's a good note to kind of end on. Uh, I've, I've loved hearing... Uh, your, your thoughts on everything. I love the uh, the weekly show and tells points, and uh, you know, uh, again, Tim, twenty four years into games, and you don't make games anymore. <laughs> but uh, it's been really good having an insight, you know, from a producer's perspective, design director, and audio, like these different uh, departments. I think it would have been a bit boring if it was all the same department. Um, so I want to just take a moment to just kind of thank you guys, Jordan, Tim, Sol, for uh, your insights. Uh, from your experiences and uh, annoyances in the industry. And uh, this has been the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. So if you want to get involved in a upcoming episode, uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn or via email at adam.miller-betridge at evolution-nordics.com. It's very long. <laughs> so LinkedIn. But uh, I'll see you next time, guys. <laughs>